Hello and welcome to CityWare Selectors podcast, Let's Talk About ESG. And joining me today is Hortans Bioui, Head of Sustainability Research at Morningstar. Hortans, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. We are talking now in March, and that's pretty much the month when we've marked one year since SFDR disclosures have been introduced. Now, I was wondering if we could just start from what we've learned in this year and what kind of challenges that new regulation actually brought about that are not maybe resolved yet. Absolutely. So I think the the first thing we've learned really is that ESG and sustainable investing has really entered the mainstream. Uh, The uptake of Article 8 and Article 9 funds has been much higher than anticipated. And this is encouraging. One year after its introduction, more than 28% of funds distributed in the EU are now Article 8 or 9, which represents more than 40% of the assets invested in EU funds. And in the last quarter of 2021, close to two thirds of the money invested into EU funds went into Article 8 or Article 9 funds. So um, this is a success which is due to a combination of factors. So first, of course, you have the growing investor interest in sustainability issues, especially climate change. You have the expansion or the um, expanding range of options available. And also finally pressure from distributors who are now hesitant to keep on their buy list funds that don't have minimum ESG standards. Now, while I think this uptake of SFDR Article 8 and Article 9 funds is encouraging. It hides a complex reality. The situation is, of course, not all rosy because there is a lot of confusion and greenwashing concerns in the market. And this is mainly because there has been a lack of clear policy guidance, which has resulted in different approaches to product classification. Some managers have been more cautious than others in the way they've classified the funds. But the thing is that SFDR classification was supposed to be only about disclosing relevant ESG information. It wasn't about saying this is green, this is not green, or it has become some sort of of an ESG label. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering if this is just the stage where we're deciding, okay, is this fund promoting characteristics or not? So when will we actually start measuring things and where will KPIs kick in? Because I think regularly regulatory standards were actually pushed back from my understanding, at least. Yes, and that has been a, a challenge for, for, for the industry uh, because we expected some more clarity uh, earlier this year and uh, so we here we're talking about the SFDR's level two um, and so the regulatory technical standards which originally were supposed to kick in the first on the first of January this year but they've been pushed back 
first by six months to July and then by six months again. So now we, we're not expecting those uh, to be applied before January 2023. Uh, so yeah, we, 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 we're in a bit of a, of a limbo right now. Uh, these standards should uh, bring some clarity uh, on what the funds are doing in terms of ESG and what sort of portfolios uh, to expect. So, um, so that 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 when they come, that will certainly be uh, be helpful. In the meantime, it would be helpful also to have the regulators step in and um, and and really define better the boundaries of the playing field. Uh, and this is actually what the industry is. Uh, is expecting expecting the regulator to impose some minimum ESG standards because the spectrum of green you find in the Article 8 category in particular is very large. And, um, and, and right now, fund distributors and investors are a bit confused by, by that. So that's uh, that's one challenge. If uh, if the regular, regulator imposes some minimum standards, that could give uh, some uh, reassurance to some investors. Now there's another challenge. Um, it's uh, it's data, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Asset managers and investors will will have to wait a bit a bit longer. Uh, so more, you know, 2024 uh, probably um, before companies you know are all required to uh, to publish the necessary data uh, for uh, for asset managers to do the reporting at the fund level Hortense, I know that Morningstar uh, was trying to also stay ahead of the curve uh, in terms of its own database and reviewed um, the pool of funds that it deemed to be sustainable. So what I wanted to find out, I guess, what was the rationale behind this change for starters? And then secondly, if it had to do with regulations and SFDR per se. Yeah, so first I'd like to clarify that we haven't changed our definitions, right? So how we identify and what we identify as sustainable investments hasn't hasn't changed uh, it's just the the criteria that we we used we used to to tag these funds and to, to answer your question is it linked to, to regulations yes and no because what happened in March is when you know when we saw the new ESG disclosures they in, in fund documents, we um, so some funds have been have been tagged because there was, you know, this new volume of disclosures that seemed convincing or seemed to to um, to meet a criteria for sustainable mm-hmm. investment. But but we decided to review some of this disclosure and understand better you know what they what they really mean and and we decided then to tighten our criteria so that's why we uh, we untack certain certain funds so it turns out as well that many of these funds were article 8 funds but the review went beyond just article 8 funds and sfdr disclosures because it's almost globally that we've seen also more esg disclosures Hortense, I was wondering, with all the regulations, uh, one thing that is not entirely clear is uh, fund names, because automatically I would assume that uh, funds that qualify as Article 8 or Article 9 should have sustainability, ESG, or something of a sort in the name. But the more I started looking at the funds that I saw, the more it became obvious that some of them 
not at all have that kind of designation. So uh, is that a challenge? Is that something that we need to be mindful of? What, what is it telling us? So that, that that's a great question because my team and I have been analyzing funds long enough to know that if a fund doesn't have ESG or any sustainability term in its name, it is unlikely that ESG or sustainability plays a central role in the strategy. Now, I'm not saying that these funds do not consider ESG factors. Many now do. But these factors are more often than not non-binding. And I think intentionality starts with with the name. An asset manager, we want to flag the sustainable mandate of a strategy in in its name. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that all funds with ESG-related terms in, in the name are sustainable strategies. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, some are clearly on the light green end of the spectrum. So yes, a fund needs to have sustainable or related, a related term in its name to be identified by us as potentially sustainable. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the fund is sustainable. So that's why you know, the, an investor would really need to do its uh, due diligence. Mm-hmm. And I guess if you put uh, sustainability in the name, that's kind of like a statement of intent that you are serious about it because a lot of asset managers are often, for example, worried about mis-selling products to retail clients, elementary. So if you are going that extra step and stating on the thing, this is an ESG fund, then hopefully you mean business as well. So obviously it doesn't always happen, but it seems like this is a more genuine way of doing it. Uh, absolutely. And I would also add that now more than ever, an asset manager will think uh, hard, you know, long and hard to be f- about really the signal that is, you know, the, the name, you know, the, the ESG term in the name would send to to, to an investor. So I think more than, than ever, um, I would rely more now on the name than, than before. Uh, because they, there's a reputational risk, you know, like the uh, investors would expect more disclosure if a fund has sustainable in the name, would expect certain characteristics. Um, so we, we, which a fund that doesn't have ESG or, or any other sustainability rated term in the name uh, would, not, uh, would not do. Mm-hmm. And where does it leave us with, for example, Article 8 funds? Because they are like very broad. And one thing that I was looking at recently, for instance, uh, following the invasion of uh, Ukraine by Russia, some funds that are designated as Article 8 actually hold Gazprom. And Gazprom, you know, they do have their own reasons why they have it. But then obviously there might be a couple of questions why that holding is there. So where does it leave us in terms of like not having ESG in the name? And being an Article 8 strategy, so is it fund buyers deciding for themselves what's acceptable to them when it comes to sustainability? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, as I said earlier, there's a, a spectrum of of um, uh, of green within the Article 8 uh, categories, and and some funds would only use ESG to identify ESG risk and mitigate this risk, and and the way they would mitigate those risks would vary as well. Some would say, okay, engagement, for example, is 
is is a, is an important way for me to mitigate ESG risk. And I feel that by doing engagement, I am promoting ESG characteristics. So you mentioned Gazprom. Um, we, we know, for example, Gazprom, and I, I think you've written about this. You know, Gazprom is 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 one of the biggest uh, carbon emitters and uh, is being engaged with uh, by by a lot of asset managers and and asset owners, and they're they're part of this uh, engagement uh, um, engagement uh, activities uh, done um, by Climate Action One Hundred. So, so and 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 I think they've made progress with with Gazprom. Now, an investor who doesn't know anything about engagement doesn't know this is happening in the background, would see back we see Gazprom in the portfolio just before the Russian invasion <laughs> of Ukraine and be like, okay, why is Gazprom in my portfolio? And this is why disclosure is important. I know some asset managers would want to want to explain line by line why they hold certain companies, but uh, probably for the more tr- controversial ones, it would be helpful also to um well, to, to, for, for if the asset manager explained really why they have this uh, company in the portfolio and the progress they're making with these companies if if the ESG credentials of those companies are not good to start with. And you would mm-hmm. certainly want to see progress as well. Mm-hmm. And is that something that uh, is up to asset managers or regulation can also help with that part of the accountability for engagement and the results of engagement? Well, you've got the uh, UK Code of Stewardship uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, of course, no one, not everyone has signed, but you know, clearly set the standards when it comes to disclosure around stewardship activities. Um, there, there are also like now standard practices, and uh, you know, like you, for example, in, a lot of asset managers now publish stewardship reports and where they summarize uh, the engagements of voting. Votings are very, uh, v- votes are very, very um, transparent, you know, like it's uh, it's clear how, you, how you, you, know, you vote in favor or against certain ESG resolutions. And if you vote against, you will have to explain the rationale. Uh, so, I mean, an investor that does its due diligence would be able to see really if the asset manager is walking the, you know, the the, the walk, um, and understand why certain securities would find the way in the portfolio. Mm-hmm. And if we go back to the names of funds, uh, what I've noticed as well, which is another trend, uh, some asset managers renaming long-running funds and adding ESG sustainability into the name. Uh, does that set off? any alarm bells or like prompt you to go in and look under the hood and see if anything actually practically changed uh, with these strategies. So is that something that maybe fund buyers should be mindful of as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's part of the due diligence as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and asset managers also notify the, the, the clients, uh, you know, obviously the, the big clients of these changes, they also sometimes put it on the website uh, to explain what, uh, why they've changed the name, if that's the case, or why they they may have um, changed classification, the SF, SFDR classification of a fund from Article 6 to 8 or 6 to 9. Um, yeah, they, 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 it's, it's important to understand is if anything has changed. Some asset managers have said that they've, when it comes to classification from six to eight, for example, they say we've classified our funds um, 
as an articulate funds just to clarify or formalize uh, investment process. So they say clearly say, I mean, nothing has really changed. The investment objective hasn't changed. The investment policy may sometimes have changed, but doesn't necessarily have an impact on the strategy or even the end portfolio. So I think I'm not saying this is wrong, uh, but I think it needs to be clearly said is not, if nothing has changed. So one trend that we've noticed, especially when CEOs of asset managers are talking about the future of their kind of investment proposition, is that some mentioned Article 6 funds that are not promoting any environmental or social characteristic as potentially legacy funds. So funds that increasingly will be phased out from the investment universe. Now, after we looked at our data, it doesn't seem like there is a mass exodus from Article 6 funds necessarily. So I was wondering, what's your take on this, for example? Yeah, I, I guess it's uh, it's a bit of a, an exaggeration. Uh, I mean, I mentioned earlier that in the last quarter of 2021, two thirds of money invested in the EU went into Article 8 and Article 9 funds, which means that a third uh, still went into Article 6 funds. So it's not negligible. Um, should we call them legacy funds? I mean, it depends who you talk to, because I think there's still going to be a place for those funds in in investors' portfolios. I mean, there are asset classes, there are strategies where ESG is, is difficult to um, to implement, and we don't necessarily have the methodologies to do so. So, I think uh, I think some Article Six funds will still have a place to or a role to play in investment portfolios. But I do understand that some some investors and and some uh, also fund distributors will only want to uh, either have Article Eight or Nine in the portfolios or 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 distribute these funds uh, among the networks. I mean, I I can see that this is clearly something that we hear a lot. Mm -hmm. And which sectors actually would find it hard to make the transition from, for example, Article 6 to Article 8? Uh, because I can think of alternatives, for instance, alt uses being a difficult sector to incorporate ESG. That's absolutely right. Uh, I think you, you have, uh, so you have, um, you have alternatives, you have uh, commodities as well. Um, so, it's it's yeah definitely if you if you want if you want these asset classes uh, in represented in your portfolios then you would probably right now only have limited choice in uh, Article Eight and nine if if any. Mm -hmm. oh. I was also thinking uh, to touch upon the migration of strategies from being Article 8, Article 9, and then sometimes also from Article 6 to Article 9, interestingly enough, because we've seen that recently. And does that set off any alarm bells for fund buyers? Should they be worried that this is happening or this is actually not that uh, concerning? It's absolutely not concerning. I mean, they, it is absolutely normal that asset managers right now continue to review the fund ranges and see the improvement they can make uh, to the strategies. So in some cases, they will want uh, to enhance you know, the investment process by including more ESG uh, criteria. Uh, some will want to, to, to add some exclusionary screens. Others will 
you know, want to go further than this and uh, include, for example, some climate targets, because with all these uh, commitments to uh, net zero that asset managers have made in the last year, you you are going to start seeing this uh, filter through the portfolios. And we can expect more funds now to to be clear about, you know, what how they're going to transition uh, to to net zero. So I think going forward, we're going to see more of this reclassification. Again, more funds being upgraded from Article 6 to Article 8 or from Article 6 to Article 9 or even from Article 8 to Article 9. We've seen that in the passive space. We've seen um, a a number of uh, ETFs, for example, that now uh, track uh, EU climate benchmarks, so Paris Align benchmarks or uh, climate transition benchmarks and they were before either article 6 or they were article 8 because they already had ESG strategies but they've gone a bit further than this and now they they're playing the the you know the, the climate theme so uh, no I, I don't think this is this is worrying uh, absolutely mm-hmm. not it's, again it's important to do uh, your due diligence and understand what changes really happen mm-hmm. And one topic that is currently occupying investors, obviously, is the implication of what is happening geopolitically, so namely the invasion of Ukraine and what the impact of that event is for sustainable investing. Because I think there is a lot of uh, debate about what do you do with the Russian assets? Can you classify them, uh, them as sustainable? And then kind of like all other bits around it, like, for example, defense stocks sometimes uh, being reintroduced as this new thing that we need because of the situation, let's say. So what kind of implications do you see of this situation on the sustainable fund universe, if at all, maybe none at all from your perspective? I think at this point, it's difficult to to tell because it's still early days. The situation, as you know, in Ukraine is is still very fluid. Uh, When Russia started its invasion of Ukraine, ESG fund managers reacted very quickly because many ESG funds have values-based screens uh, that avoid controversial activities and and companies and countries in violation of international norms. And, uh, of course, recent events have placed Russia squarely in that space. Now, non-ESG fund managers also reacted very quickly. Uh, Some announced they would suspend uh, or divest all their Russian assets. Uh, Some did it for ethical reasons, others because of the sanctions, uh, or for practical reasons, because they simply can't trade the moment. Uh, It would indeed be interesting to see what uh, portfolio, so what those ESG fund managers decide to do when Russia reopens for business. Uh, at this stage, I think they, they, they don't know themselves. Uh, some uh, will uh, take a pragmatic approach and assess companies on a case-by-case basis. It's very likely that a lot of ESG funds will stay away from Russian debt and state-owned companies, uh, even, even after the sanctions are lifted, uh, because Russia will continue to carry a significant a political risk, uh, as long as Vladimir Putin stays in power. Some ESG-focused asset managers uh, avoided investments in Russia before the current conflict because of this significant political risk, and they are not going 
they're not going to go away. Now, once the this conflict is over, uh, which we hope will be soon, a big priority for Europe is uh, to end its dependence on fossil fuel supply. This war and its direct consequences, including higher energy prices, have highlighted the needs to diversify our energy sources. And this should help to accelerate the transition to clean energy over the long term. And that's probably the only positive outcome of this conflict. Now, on, on your question of whether defense companies should be should have a place in an ESG portfolio. I mean, that's 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 a tricky question as well. I think it really uh, depends on the, on the investor, on the on the strategy as well. Uh, I, I certainly don't think it's going to make its way, or the defense sector is going to make its way into the social taxonomy. Uh, I think that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Ortans, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Margarita.